All right, guys, what is up? Welcome to episode number uh, eight of the Playing to Win series, the series where we talk about doing stuff that is like playing to win in life rather than not playing not to lose sort of style. Uh, joined today by, you should recognize him, Coach Redpill, uh, or the artist formerly known as Coach Redpill, <laughs> now Gonzalo Lira. <laughs> Welcome. How's it going? Great to be on, man. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that first, man, because, I mean, most people should know who you are. Why don't I just give, like, a, a quick intro, just in case there's some people sure. watching this being like, who is this fellow? I've never seen him before. He's a strange man with woman-repelling glasses. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was my line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were just shooting the shit before we went live, it just just kind of diving into some background to, you know, get a little more familiar. Because we only talked once before, and we, we caught up uh, late summer, early fall, or something like that, yeah. and had a quick Skype chat, and even back then, like, I was like, so what do I call you? You know, do you have a name? And you're like, just call me coach. <laughs> um, you know, so we didn't really know, know each other that well, but I've known of your channel for about a year or so now, maybe like a year and a half, and Same I'll be me. honest, I mean, the first time that I came across it, I was like, I'm not sure if I like this guy. I'm not sure if I like this style. And, but as you're talking, you're making complete sense, right? Like I'm nodding my head. I'm, I'm, I'm just one of these hyperactive guy. That's like, can you just do that in 10 minutes instead of 23? But, <laughs> um, yeah, like your video editing, uh, the presentation, it's probably the best that I've seen for pre-recorded stuff. Um, when it comes to live though, I haven't seen you do any lives, but as far as pre-recorded presentation on the topic, I, I really think you knocked that out right out of the park. So there's a lot of lessons a lot of guys can learn from that. Um, how long does it take you to edit one of those sequences that you do that might end up being 20 minutes long? Oh, that, I've got it down to a science now. It takes me usually about uh, just to cut the stuff up about uh, 45 minutes. And then I usually go through it uh, once or twice to sometimes move stuff around mm -hmm. uh, because it makes more sense um, just, just to make it just just to make it flow better that kind of thing you know yeah. and so altogether about two hours yeah yeah it's um see for me i've always tried to keep my edits and my presentation um as easy as possible like i don't want to complicate my life and mm -hmm. i like believe it or not i still use windows movie maker i've mentioned this before <laughs> it's 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 probably about 12 or 15 years old it might even come out like the original microsoft <laughs> windows 98 or something but um yeah it's Cut, 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 and start, boom, done. Like I had somebody do like an intro reel and an outro, and that was just like, you know, I just wanted to keep it simple. But uh, yeah, tip my hat to the hyper growth. That's the first thing that I wanted to talk about. Sure. Because um, you were growing incredibly fast in the Coach Red Pill channel at one time. Yeah. And I thought to myself, wow, this looks incredibly risky. These thumbnails and titles <laughs> and some of the things that he's saying in the video, I think are probably going to catch up to him at some point. And I said that to and myself about a year and a half ago. Um, and it eventually did. So what happened exactly from your end? I mean, I just kind of watched it as well, an outsider, but from, what ended up happening? What happened was that, see, I could feel this like uh, foot on the shoulder of the channel. Like somebody was like trying to keep it down, especially in August. In August, I had a couple of, in early August of 19, I had like a couple of breakout videos. And at that time I, I had crossed the 200,000 subscriber mark. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it, it was just like this, you know how you grow on YouTube, it's sort of like these quantum leaps, yeah, right? Big, big and so problem. for like the longest time, for like 15 months, the channel was just growing, but it's very slowly and not, not particularly spectacularly. And then in June of 18, it just popped. I got like a nine-month-old video went viral, 
Uh, and then another few videos went viral and just why do you think it went viral? Like, was it shared somewhere or, or was it in the recommended feed? Like, no, usually, I, I, usually I notice if it ends up in the recommended feed, cause the comments that I see is why am I seeing this? Why is YouTube yeah. showing this to me? I hate this man. He's a misogynist. <laughs> I get that too. <laughs> right? So that's usually when I find it's recommending to new people versus if it's, um, something where it's shared on some like feminist platform like one of these toxic feminist platforms where it's no, like no, no. all it was, these it was recommended it was yeah, the recommended okay, okay. yeah and uh I, I what happens is that see my videos get like very long views yeah. you know like 10 minutes stuff like that and so the youtube algorithm really likes me because of it and so what happened was that uh you know starting in in mid 18 the channel really just took off and I went from 17,000 subscribers to 100,000 in three, four months. And then from 100,000 to 200,000 in another five, six months. And then in August of 19, that's when all of a sudden the channel just stopped growing. Because I had like these explosive videos that came out in like late July, early August that they were really taking off. And the channel felt like it was going to go, you know, go the distance, right? Go up there in the seven hundred. You were looking for the million, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, we all are, right? It's 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 the ego trip, right? Yeah. And so what happened was that all of a sudden it just stopped growing. Um, and I saw, I, I actually have a screenshot. And I'll, I'll, I should have looked for it before, but anyway, mm. a screenshot of all of a sudden the views just like it was literally like somebody had stepped on on the view count. You, mm. you know how when you have that analytic. And you have a video that comes out and pops mm -hmm. up, right? Yeah. And then like slowly it deteriorates because that's yeah. normal flow yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's it went like the first hour popped high and it was like um, I don't know twelve thirteen thousand views in the first hour, the second it was like you know eleven ten thousand views and the third all of a sudden squat two thousand views mm. and and like that and and it kept on going like lower like that which didn't. Do you make think it was sense. reported or was it just it got picked up in the algorithm like? I'll tell you yeah. what I think it is. I think it's because the titles and the thumbnails and also because you've got red pill in the title of your channel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, they totally squashed the channel. And mm. so uh, I still run the channel, the Coach Red Pill channel, uh, yeah. but I also have the Gonzalo Lira channel. Is and, it fully demonetized now? I think you mentioned at one point. Yeah, yeah. it was demonetized everything. in December because between okay. August and December, there was flatline growth. Yeah. Uh, the videos were getting okay views, but just flatline growth. And, and whenever a video sort of like threatened to go viral, it would like stop. Mm -hmm. And then in uh, December 11th, it was, it went completely demonetized. Mm -hmm. Just like they just yanked me out of the partner program. Mm -hmm. And, um, and look, I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of income coming in from the channel. Mm -hmm. uh, which is really surprising because I had it for like 15 months. And at that time I must've gotten like a couple hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought nothing of it, but then. Then all know, of a sudden when, you crack a thousand. Oh yeah. When it, when it, when it really picked up, it, it was just a lot of income. It was uh, pretty surprising. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, it really pissed me off. Not so much the income. What really bothers me is that uh, my content is just not being shown and it's just yeah. really demoralizing. And so I started the Gonzalo totally Lira channel, yeah. and uh, right now I'm sort of like, uh, I have like I have a real life job. I mentioned mm -hmm. it to you a little bit, um, yeah. and so I have like a uh, an IRL job, and I also at this time of year I had end of year stuff, and I also had you know taxes and whatnot, and I also have uh, closing the year for my my day job, 
And also on top of that, I'm going on vacation with the family. We're going to go skiing for a couple of weeks. And so mm -hmm. like during the winter, it's sort of like taking a hiatus. I'm really going to pick up the channel and my online presence like heavily in March, you know, and just really go for broke and, and really see how the, the Gonzalo Lira channel works out and the CRP channel and just really um, uh, pick it up. And so have, you, have uh, you changed your strategy much? from the old channel to the new one? Like you've obviously changed the name, you've revealed your full name. Um, yeah. You know, I've noticed the titles and thumbnails are a little more watered down and you're talking about slightly different topics. I noticed one day you were you were getting into something about uh, video production or books and people yeah. were getting pissed off because you weren't giving them something about chasing women, right? Yeah, because what happens too is that see on the, uh, how could I put this? Um, on the one hand, see, I've done like something like 600 videos on, as Coach Red Pill. And a lot of the stuff, you know, I just didn't want to be rehashing it. You, you get a little bit bored with just rehashing the same material on the one yeah. hand. On the other hand, there are a lot of stuff that I, a lot of things I know about different businesses that I've been intimately involved in. I mean, I, after college, I moved to Hollywood to make it as a writer. And I did all right. I made some, a good, decent living at it. And then I got do you, into do you do you write out a full script for every video, or do you just bullet point the main concepts that you want to cover? Bullet point. I originally like did like scripted videos, mm -hmm. uh, and it took a long time to write the script. And also, my delivery was rather wooden and not particularly interesting. Yeah. And so I just decided, you know, that's not the way for me. I mean, mm -hmm. some guys are are great at that, but I'm just not good at it. Yeah. And uh, what I usually do is I have uh, bullet points and. Um, and I know more or less what I want to hit in the video. And uh, sometimes the, I, I, my routine is basically I sort of like wander around my office, uh, like talking to myself, like, oh, okay, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about it. And I like try out phrases, you know, kind of like, and then I go and record it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a fun hobby. I really enjoy it. Mm. Yeah, um, I can tell. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work to do what you do. Like I know from my own experience, like sometimes I'm like, you know, how do these guys put out three, four videos a week? I mean, that's got to be a day or two of work just to set that all up. And then you've got the management of all of that afterwards. You've got your premium content. You've got everybody DMing the crap out of you and sending you emails. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what happens is it's, it soon I, becomes I, a full-time job, right? No, no. It's, it takes me like the whole thing. It takes me about a day and a half per week uh, because it takes me like a, a full good. day to record all the videos for the week. I record uh, five videos per week. I do four on my channel and one uh, on Patreon. And usually the one on Patreon is the, the stuff that really, like if I put it on YouTube, you know, YouTube would You're like, gone. oh yeah, they'd kick me off instantly, yeah. right? Yeah, I do the exact same thing. I put all my, you know, deeper shit that's going to annoy people behind the paywall, but that's the only yeah. way you can do it now. Yeah, exactly. And what I also do is that, unfortunately, I get like, it's incredibly flattering, but it's overwhelming that I get so many messages. Uh, I get roughly between 10 and 20 emails per day. Mm. And so I can't get to them. It's just simply too much. Yeah. And, and it's lovely and flattering, the fact that I've had such an impact on a lot of people. I, I so, I'm, I'm humbled by it. And I mean that very sincerely and truly, because I mean like a guy, somebody who writes me an email, and some of these emails are really long and they go on about their lives mm -hmm. and such. It's, it's incredibly it's flattering that they feel that way about me. Do you ever and, get people and, that recognize you in that public? Yes, I've had that. Uh, Starts to happen, doesn't it? Yes, uh, several times. It's uh, lovely. It's a lovely feeling. Yeah. First time it happened to me, it was really surprising. I was uh, with my two children. We were at a park, and uh, they, they were playing, and I was playing with them, and all the rest of it. And this uh, kid, uh, this young man, very nicely dressed, came up to me all of a sudden. 
I had no idea who he is. And he's like, outstretching his hand. And I'm like a little nervous because, you know, I'm there with my kids and who's this stranger coming up to me, right? And, um, and he's just said, oh, I watch your videos, coach. And I think the world of you and they've had such a great impact on my life. And I'm like, holy cow, you know? And, and that really just really moved me, you know? And I, you know, I almost started crying like a little bitch right then and there, you know, because I'm just, you know, I'm just an emotional fool. But I mean, to tell you the truth, it really was incredible. It was yeah. such a flattering thing. And it was so kind of this guy to do that. And it's yeah. happened to me a few times that I'm just walking along and some guy has come up to me, sometimes at a train, sometimes I'm just walking here or there, wherever. Mm -hmm. uh, I spend time here in Amsterdam. I also spend time in uh, Ukraine and it's happened in, in Ukraine, in Amsterdam, in London. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you this, because I mean, I would imagine sometimes you're with your wife and kids or maybe just your kids or just your wife. Um, this is obviously a great example of social proof, right? And having people come, like men wanting to be you and expressing gratitude for what you're doing. Um, how do they usually respond when they see that happening? Um, well, the kids are too small. They're, they're four and six, so they have no idea. I mean, for them, it's just like, you know, What does your wife do? Yeah, um, yeah, she, she, she finds it a little bit odd, okay? And insofar as other people in my life, well, to, to tell you the truth, now that I think about it all the time, uh, except a couple of times, uh, I guess most of the time it's been like I've been on my own. Mm. But see, I don't, uh, certainly if, if I were like with somebody, you know, some, some associate or a woman or whatever, yeah, it would like, you know, raise my social proof. But in my own case, personally, I don't really need that. I don't mm -hmm. find it, I don't, I personally am, I know who I am and the worth I have and the things around me signal that. And so that's not very important to me. What's important to me is the fact that I've had this impact on these young men in a positive way, a positive impact. Um, that is for me uh, payment enough, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if I were to, if for instance, suppose I'm trying to talk up some girl, right? And some hot young thing and as some fan of mine came up to me and said something nice. Sure, it would probably help me bang that that hot young thing, mm -hmm. but it's it's not how I look at it. I don't really care about that. I'd mm -hmm. still bang the girl anyway without anybody coming up to me. Okay. Well, there's not so, much that stops men from banging, right? If she's hot, then you're banging. Yeah, exactly. And so the thing is, see, for me, it's it's so humbling and so gratifying when some stranger comes up to me and says that you know, some just says nice things. I mean, who yeah, wouldn't feel, feel yeah. wonderful about it, you know? Yeah. And I have so, a question I, for you. Yeah. Um, a lot of people arrive at the red pill through a function of uh, trauma. Yeah. Something happens in their life. Their one itis breaks their heart. Their you know, their wife runs them through the divorce machine. There's there's always some form of trauma that usually leads men to the red pill. So what was it for you? Because I mean, there's classics like you know, uh, Rolo Rouge. Uh, Roycey, there's a lot of other stuff that's been out there for a while, especially, um, you know, like one of the older godfathers, like uh, Tom Likas, for example. Mm -hmm. How did you how did you come across this? Like what happened to you? Oh, no, my, my route was not traumatic. It was it was inquisitive. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I actually my earliest video, maybe my first or second video was precisely about the path I got to the red pill, which was see, uh, I was living in Chile at the time during the Pinochet dictatorship. And um, this was in the mid 80s 
and you know, neck deep in the Pinochet dictatorship and, and all the rest of it. And Time Magazine put out this article because they had discovered some bodies in the desert in the north of Chile. And uh, it was like, uh, I, I, I recall something like uh, a dozen and a half, like 16 or 18 uh, cadavers. Now, the north of Chile is the driest desert in the world. And this actually matters. And they found these uh, bodies out in the middle of the desert. And I was like, oh, it's the military dictatorship, you know, somebody that they like killed off or whatever, right? And Time Magazine rolled out this article. And I read the article. And you got to understand, this is the mid 80s. There's no internet. Uh, there's no cable news. There's no CNN. Time Magazine actually matters. It's the global news source, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm reading it, reading this full page article about the Chilean situation at the time. And I'm there, I'm living it. And the whole article is kind of like, there's like a nugget of truth, but it's distorted. And distorted in a way that it gives you a completely erroneous perspective as to what's going on. And the picture in the article was also striking to me because you see, in, in the, it had this desert landscape full of these iron crosses that were rusted. And in the distance, you saw the ocean. It's a quite dramatic picture, right? Now, the thing is, see, um, the, the corpses that had been found had been found in the middle of the desert, no crosses, nothing of the sort. And the picture that they were showing that they weren't properly identifying, you would lead to think that they had found thousands of corpses because it was quite dramatic. This this graveyard full of these iron crosses that were rusted, right? But of course, that was just the, the, the local cemeteries in the, in the towns in the north of Chile, because see, uh, in these towns in the north of Chile, it's a desert, there are no trees. And so when people die, they put iron crosses. And these iron crosses, because they're near the ocean, they inevitably rust. And, and it's quite dramatic. You, you, you guys, anybody watching this now can, can go and check out those um, those images, right? They're, what would you, you know, search for? Like, what would be the keyword that would show um, that? Atacama uh, Desert Graveyards, you know? And they're quite spectacular. And the thing is, see, uh, anybody who's from Chile knows it. Because people, it's like a tourist attraction. Because it's beautiful and dramatic. And, of course, it had nothing to do... Uh, what are we talking about here? Like, it, It's like, you're going to see, like, I can't quite make it out... Um, it, it's basically like these iron crosses in the middle of the desert, okay? And they're all rusted out. Something like that. Yeah, like that. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, there are a whole bunch of towns. I mean, like dozens of towns up there that have similar thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happened was that, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. You okay. see? And so what happens is that I read the article and I was like, number one, that picture has nothing to do with these corpses that they found. Number two, all the little information that they're talking about, it's wrong. It's, it, there's a nugget of truth, but it's been twisted. N number three, and this was the kicker, right around the time I, we got the Time magazine, it came out that the corpses were from a, a, a civil war in the 19th century in Chile in 1891. Okay? Uh, and, of course, the corpses were very well preserved because it's the driest desert in the world, and so corpses... There are lots of cadavers out there in the desert. People die for whatever reason. And they are perfectly preserved because there's no humidity. There's no nothing. And so the corpses just, you know, they're found there and they're perfectly preserved. And sometimes it takes a while to figure out from when are the corpses because they are so well preserved. They had nothing to do with the Pinochet dictatorship. Mm. And, but the whole article was just giving the wrong impression. And I was like thinking, wait a second. If they're telling this bullshit about Chile... And I'm here in Chile, and I know that this is bullshit. 
When they talk about South Africa, because at this time in the mid-80s, South Africa was in the news all the time, it was apartheid and all that. Mm-hmm. When they talk about South Africa, are they bullshitting me too? Mm-hmm. Because this article about Chile is bullshit. And do keep in mind at the time, uh, I was you know, 16, 18, something like that. And I was like a lefty, but sort of like because I was a moron who didn't know any better, okay? I was mm-hmm. against the Pinochet dictatorship. I'd actually gone to protest against the di- di- dictatorship mostly to pick up girls to tell you the truth but that's another story anyway oh those hot feminists at the protest you gotta love them oh no 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 they were hippie chicks they were hippie chicks okay before feminism right (laughs) they were hippie chicks and they were loose and they were great they're hot but anyway the the point is that see i was not sympathetic to the pinochet dictatorship at that time and yet i recognized the bullshit that they were talking about chile and you know there's the um the the what's it murray gelman effect where by people will see articles and they'll they'll just accept them, but they'll read one where they actually know about it. And so like say, hey, this is wrong, but then accept the others. Well, I had the reverse. So I had it was fake that news that got you. I beg your pardon? So it was fake news that red-pilled you then? Yeah, basically. And that's the thing that most guys don't get is that you can apply that lens when it comes to women to just about every other area in your life. When it exactly. comes to earning money, when it comes to self-care and fitness, everything. I mean, yes. you know, we were talking just before um, we went live and I was telling you about how I was considering this eye operation because we were talking about contact lenses and stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. I apply the red pill to everything that I do. And I, yeah. and I ask probing questions and I ask several times over and over again, why, why, why? Like at least three or four times sure. um, to get clarity around it. And for some guys, it's that exactly what you just experienced there, which is, which is different. Um, how, like, what was your first introduction to uh, red pill concepts when it came to the sexual marketplace and women? Uh, it was uh, Roisy. Uh, Roisy? How do you pronounce his name? I actually don't know. Roisy uh, Chateau Hartiste, I believe. Yeah, Chateau Hartiste, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think he's great. I haven't read him in a long time, though. I'll, I'll admit to that. But mm-hmm. this was like, um, I, I got to the red pill, like the, the sexual marketplace red pill, like in 2011, 2012. And I remember it very clearly. I was like just surfing the net and I came across it and they were talking about pickup. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I started reading the concept of negging, right? And, and it, was, it was so funny because like, see, in my own mind, um, I, I had this strategy because I'm not handsome and I was shy and not good with girls. And so I wanted to get good with girls. And so I had to work at it, right? And so what happened was that I um, developed different strategies, trial and error, of just getting girls, getting the girls that I wanted. And I had developed something that I internally called good puppy, right? And it was basically just a mocking condescension of women. And so I'm reading this concept of negging. And I'm saying, well, this is the good puppy thing, the thing that I do, you know? Mm-hmm. Because I say, you know, good puppy, you know, that good kind girl. of thing. Yeah. 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 That, that, condescension that just sort of like you know which drives women it irritates them but at the same time it. it's like kryptonite for them they, they find it incredibly attractive they, they like it it's mm. it's basically flirting it's not yeah. complicated right yeah and i'm reading that and i'm thinking this is this is what i do <laughs> and, and then i started reading more of it and i started realizing you know i do this too and i do that too and that wow this is a good idea and so i started like you know, picking up ideas from game. Mm-hmm. And I became very impressed by the fact that all these guys had basically standardized and, and figured out that the whole process of seduction is an algorithm. 
an algorithm whereby if you do certain steps and do certain things, you will achieve success insofar as women is concerned. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I never realized, although I, I, I also thought to myself that I sort of like basically implicitly believed that because I was one of these guys, you know, I'm, I'm a grinder. I kind of like repeat and repeat until I get more or less what I want. And uh, with women, you know, I'd been very unsuccessful when I was young. And so I would try out different strategies and repeat and, and modify and repeat and try again until I got it right. And then I started realizing as I read game that I do this. Th this is how it works. And it was, it was really eye-opening. It was really quite funny. You know? How old were you when you started to figure that all out? Oh, when I was like um, 17. Yeah. 17. Royce, you, how old are you now? Yeah, I'm 51. Okay. And you've mentioned in a video that you're an old dad. Yeah. Is I think what your words were. So, I mean, you got two young kids. How old are they? Four and six. What's that like for you right now at 51? That's great. It's much better than when I've been younger because when I was younger, I wouldn't have had the patience. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I recommend it thoroughly. And I want to kind of go a little bit down this rabbit hole. I mean, like we can stop wherever you want, but sure. like, how, how does that relationship work with your wife? Like who does what? Like, um, how do you also uh, protect yourself from divorce rape? You know, is another good question, I suppose that, you know, we can throw at you as well. I'm not sure if you've ever dealt with that. Well, sure. But I mean, like uh, what happens is that I uh, grew up around finance. Uh, my old man was a banker. And um, so, so the idea of setting up your financial situation in such a way that it is hard for somebody else to take what's yours unless you want them to. You know, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, and it wasn't like a big deal. Uh, oh, Evan White says, just wanted to express my gratitude to Coach Red Pill and to Rich Cooper. Uh, well, Evan, thank you very much. This is very kind of you. Thank you. Um, so, so for me, uh, the idea of re divorce rape is, um, I have to admit the following, perhaps it's an uncharitable thought on my part, but I tend to think that a lot of guys who allow themselves to be divorce raped, they kind of like they're sloppy or they secretly want to be divorce raped. I mean, it, there are a myriad of ways to protect yourself, uh, from divorce rape. And it, even in the United States, even in states like California or, or, or states that really can hurt you. Uh, all you have to do is before you get married, um, just set yourself up with a divorce attorney before you get married, before you even meet a girl and work with that attorney to figure out strategies to protect your assets. Um, also another good way of doing it. Well, there's of course estate planning. Uh, they're great for that very purpose. Mm -hmm. And, um, there are lots of ways that, and, and relatively inexpensive ways for you to figure out how to protect yourself from a potential uh, divorce rape mm -hmm. and not so, find yourself in the position where you lose everything. Okay, so you've got the financial position covered and um, that's always interesting too because I know there's a lot of guys um, that I've come across probably in the last six months. It's interesting, it's only happened in the last six months, but I've been introduced to a few financial professionals that will you know, create family trusts and 
um, you know, move money around so that sure. the risk of divorce rate goes down considerably. Mm -hmm. We've seen, seen some people be successful with the asset part. But what about the part that deals with the access to your kids if she just loses her mind? Well, I suppose that that's always a risk. Uh, but on the other hand, see, uh, you know, time is on your side. Okay, if a woman acts really irrationally insofar as the kids are concerned, right, eventually the kids are going to realize it, okay, and it's not going to argue well for her, okay, because see, kids are growing all the time, and so eventually, you know, if, for instance, a wife of yours, an ex-wife or whatever, uh, doesn't want you to see the kids, okay, and, and decides that she's not going to allow that to happen and just really... Uh, puts all kinds of barriers in the way of that, right? Uh, what will happen is that, see, the kids will want to see their father, assuming that they have a, a good relationship with him. And they're going to be asking, well, why can't we see him? Okay, and the mother is not going to cut off the father entirely. The, the, the father will be able to see them, you know, once in a while. And the kids will get a sense of like, oh, mommy doesn't want us to see daddy, mm -hmm. okay? And as they get older, they'll be insisting that they do want to see daddy, and eventually they will. And also, the other thing I've noticed is that a lot of fathers, when they divorce, they talk shit about the ex-wife. This is a huge mistake. Because, see, children, they love both parents, irrespective of whether one is being unfair to the other. And so to shit talk one parent, it's always a mistake. It's always going to backfire. The smart thing, rather, is to, rather than shit talk the ex-wife, it's to ask the kids uh, you know, to describe the behavior of the mother and then ask if they think that the behavior of the mother is fair. That's very different. Because like, for instance, if, if I say to you, oh, you know, your mommy is an awful person, it's gonna hurt your feelings. But if you say, oh, so what did mommy do? Oh, mommy did that. and. Uh, how did that make you feel? Do you think it was a good thing or a bad thing? Then it's a different dynamic. You're, you're bringing out from the kid the, the feeling that they're, they're having, the negative feeling, rather than you imposing it on the kid. And I think that a lot of uh, divorced men, a lot of guys in MGTOW, they sort of like, in their frustration and rage, they dump all this emotional baggage on the kid. And the kid doesn't like it, resents it, it bothers them and it hurts the guy's relationship with the kid. Whereas the ex-husband father of these kids should realize that the smart thing is not to use the kids as an emotional dumping ground, but rather sort of like get the kids, elicit from the kids their own emotional reaction to the, the, um, the ex-wife and the ex-wife's behavior. Do you, do you um, uh, talk to guys privately about stuff like this? Like, do you coach them on this? Do you have any men that you kind of walk through the divorce machine? Well, a couple. You know, uh, I'm I'm kind of like not crazy about doing private consults because it mm -hmm. takes a lot out of me. To tell you the truth, I mean, no fooling around. Yeah. Um, yeah no. Because you know, you get wrapped up in <laughs> yeah, you get wrapped up in the emotional I've, problems. I've probably else. done close to a thousand calls now, and I. You know, I always laugh when people say, that guy can't charge $1,500 an hour. It's fucking ridiculous. He's a steak oil salesman, blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, 
my time's valuable and that's what I charge to listen, you know, listen to some crazy shit to help you fix it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And my like, process is basically, I, I basically charge. It's difficult, man. Like I've heard some fucking horror stories and what yeah. you're saying, like I get is coming from a good place, but there's, but there's a flip side of that coin where it's like, um, like hell hath no fury, like a woman scorned, man. Like there's some crazy stuff that I've, uh, that I've come across oh, yeah. that I, oh, that yeah. I really just barely scratch the surface on. But I mean, like it can go either way for both people. Um, I want to switch gears, dude, because sure. um, we were talking before about uh, psychedelics and you live in Amsterdam and you got a picture here on your Instagram feed. Oh, of, yeah. Uh, Dragon's Dynamite with the um, uh, quote, uh, guess what I did today. So <laughs> those are magic mushrooms, right? Like that's psilocybin? Yeah. So. Talk about that. Like, is that like a microdose for you? Do you go on like a hero's journey and just look at the fucking dragons jumping off the buildings? Like, uh, what's your position on psychedelics and drugs? Well, I, I've done a lot of research on it. And there's a very, very good book that I would recommend called How to Change Your Mind mm. by a guy called uh, Michael Pollan. If, if it's you funny look. that you mentioned that because I just invested money into uh, a company that, that is doing research on uh, psychotherapy-assisted psilocybin, yeah. and that book was recommended in their um, investment deck. So yeah. I've got to get it. Yeah, it's a very, very good book. It, it came out last year, I believe, and I read it uh, just a few weeks ago, as a matter of fact. Wait, I have it right here, I think. Wait, let me, let me just look real quick. And... Um, uh, yeah, here, here it is. This there. is going to be big, I think. I mean, even even Kevin O'Leary was talking about this the other day. Yeah. Uh, wait, how to change uh, your mind? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, how to change your mind: the new science of psychedelics by Michael Pollan. Mm -hmm. Okay, highly recommend this book. Um, now, this guy, um, uh, in my own case, the the kind of uh, I started doing drugs on my thirteenth birthday. My 13th birthday was quite, quite spectacular. I got drunk, I got stoned, I got laid, and um, I got my first job. It was like a quite big the 13th day. birthday, man. Yeah, it was. We did a show the other day called Rites of Passage. It sounded like it all happened on, the, on your 13th for you. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, yeah, you were was, a little horror, weren't you? Thirteen yeah, year old. It was. Hey? It, it, was wow. uh, it was my Catholic bar mitzvah. What did I say? <laughs> Where were you living at the time? I was living in Miami. And okay. yeah, I, and, I, and yeah. how old was she? Was she, she was also 13 14 and months, you know? Okay. So yeah, yeah. I actually, so not even deal. legal actually. Well, well, no, we were both on the same side of the age of consent. So it would have been okay. Okay. But anyway, the, the point was that, um, no, I did dope like pretty heavily for like, I don't know, four or five years in when I was a teenager. And, uh, at, a couple of times I dropped acid. I did Coke. I did pretty much everything except heroin or any other kind of a injectable. And apart from pot, I never smoked anything. I never smoked like crack or anything like that or free-based cocaine or anything like that. Um, yeah, I, I have a pretty long laundry list of, of drugs that I've taken in my time. And Is it a productivity thing for you or is it a let's no, go just, on a little bit of a trip? Out. Just, just yeah, a pure entertainment and boredom, you okay. know? Uh, and, uh, to tell you the truth, I haven't smoked dope in 10 years. Um, well, it's legal here. You can get edibles. Yeah. Ask uh, me how uh, I know. Yeah. And I, I haven't, uh, I haven't done Coke since I was like in my mid thirties or early thirties, actually. Hmm. I, I, I just, you know, I just outgrew it. And also I have a, um, I don't have an addictive personality. 
Mm. So it's, 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 for me, it's. Why do you think that is? Because I have friends that are exactly as you described. They, they'll, they'll touch any of those things and they're just hooked. And no. I'm like you, I don't have an addictive personality. Like I've smoked cigarettes, never got addicted. I've done drugs, never been addicted to them. Like, um, I just never have. Right. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think some guys can just try? I think it's like, genetic. Oh, I can walk away from this. I think it's genetic. You think there's a predisposition to addiction oh, yeah. to things like crack or cocaine or whatever? Yeah, because like for instance, in my family, um, nobody's an alcoholic. Nobody. Okay. They're just and that's one of the most addictive drugs too, right? Is alcohol? Yeah, yeah. And mm. uh, like I used to smoke heavily, uh, and uh, just decided one day oh, I'm quitting, and I quit. Yeah. You know. So so back to the mushrooms. So the whole mushroom thing. Um, what's that like in Amsterdam? Like you just go to a store, you buy your psilocybin. It's like yeah. Take these and you look and you'll see dragons sort of thing. Yeah, or? basically, it's, it's, there's no there's no trick to it. Okay. And um, now now these are um, they're they're pretty mild. Okay. Even the 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 hard uh, the, or the the most potent mushrooms that they're selling they're they're called truffles here, and mm. they're not like I don't know like the the genus of it or the the whole. You know, but it's it's not like a, it's it's not like a ego annihilation kind of thing. Like when you're taking LSD, mm. LSD is illegal here, mm. and uh, the full-on psilocybin or ayahuasca, it's that's illegal. But they do sell these truffles, and it's perfectly safe. You know? oh, okay, and so you it's a pretty stoned. low dose. Then. You know, yeah, you get stoned, and 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 it's fun. You, you know, you have visuals and. Um, do you think What's that all drugs of... should be legalized and taxed, especially oh, yeah. in North Absolutely. America? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think the war on drugs is stupid? Absolutely. I thought so at the time in the yeah. 80s. I thought yeah. it was just dumb. Because I, I also realized something. I, I once read something really interesting that elephants, you know, elephants, they um, have this habit every once in a while of banging their head against a rock. Not kidding. Until they're just like stupefied. Mm-hmm. I think every animal, and we human beings are animals, even when we forget it or pretend that we're not. I always every laugh animal... when somebody tries to convince, oh, we've evolved beyond that. Fuck we're that. not primates. We uh, are. Yeah, we are. We are. What is your fucking dummy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. Come on. And so what, we are, we're these beings, these <laughs> angel beings that we come from. Like, <laughs> we just where? figured out the internet and webcams and microphones. Yeah, look, look, look. The thing is, see, we are we are better at explaining shit, and and we we are better at fooling gossip. Other, gossip, know? but yeah. gossip animals. was was what made us win. Did you ever read that stuff? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. But like, look, um, every animal needs to stupefy itself. Okay, different animals do it different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, elephants bang their head. Uh, we take drugs. We all need it, and mm-hmm. and it's a great escape. It's a great reset. You know, I think that um, uh, psychedelics in particular are beneficial. And I knew that when I was 13, 14, because I remember there was this friend of mine that we were living in Miami. I was 14 and we dropped acid, like a bunch of us, it was like five of us. One of us, we were actually a half dozen and one of our, one of our group chickened out, but he was basically our like, um, he was our trip sitter, right? And uh, there was this one kid I knew who had very serious problems at home. He was very bright. We used to jam, you know, play guitar and stuff. And he was very, very bright. He had a lot of serious problems at home. And he was essentially an alcoholic. Okay. And uh, he was the kind of guy who would, like, you know, take the bus in the morning drunk on a Wednesday. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
I, he had serious problems. And what was interesting was that we took acid uh, two, three times. And I remember going with him to some party. We were at some party. And he wasn't drinking. And, you know, I said, well, where's your drink? And he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. He, he just totally got off the sauce. I mean, totally off the sauce. It was really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, I, I remember thinking to myself at the time, I was just a kid. I mean, I was a child practically thinking this is really weird. And he was just totally off of alcohol. And uh, we, I moved away, uh, I, I don't know, a, a year and a half later. So I lost touch with the guy. But during that time, he was just, he was just not drinking anymore after we did like two, three trips. And I think that um, I thought at the time that it was because of the acid. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that the Michael Pollan book confirms that a lot of people who have had serious drug addictions, alcoholism, they, they take psychedelics and it's sort of like apparently it solves PTSD and anxiety. There's, there, there's a whole slew of research they're doing on this right now, which is why I've invested in it so heavily. Yeah. And I really think, you know, the way they've treated weed over the last few years, I mean, it's legal all the way across Canada. I think, uh, Canada is either the first or second country in the world to legalize marijuana. Um, Mm -hmm. for recreational reasons. I mean, they also legalized it earlier for medicinal purposes too, right? But um, I think it's coming for psilocybin next and it's going to be psycho uh, psycho assisted uh, therapy with um, microdoses of psilocybin, LSB. Well, there's no problem with microdosing is that you you develop a tolerance to it. Okay. It's not as effective. Okay. Yeah. And so when people well, say, oh, I procedure that they're talking about. So this is going to be medically supervised, basically. It's, it's not, let's eat a bunch of mushrooms and go on a heroic walk, walk through the woods with our au pair, you know, walking along with us, take care of so we don't try to walk on water like we're Jesus. But yeah, it, it, it's, um, I think it's going to be a great thing. Like, and if you get it, like th- this is the time to get in. So you find companies that, that have great management and a great model and throw some money at it and watch what it does. I mean, I think it's a great time. Um, let's talk about financial instruments because I mean, you've got a history in that. I mean, you're obviously sound financially. You don't um, you don't strike me as somebody that's um, a fake or a fraud when it comes to the experiences and the stories that you share. And you've talked in the past, and I noticed if I Google your name or on YouTube, you have old, old interviews talking yeah. about uh, money and other financial instruments, right? Yeah. What's your view on the economy today? Like, where do you think things are going? Because that's uh, a question so a lot bullshit. of young guys have. It's right? just so much bullshit. Okay, I, I, I don't. I, I think that we've moved into a bizarre area. I, I, I think from two thousand eight, you know, the, the Federal Reserve and the ECB. I, I think that they've been incompetent, and I think that uh, the crisis that will come. Okay, for for people who don't know, just to get get to the basics. See, in two thousand eight. The global financial crisis, the GFC, right, was basically, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a liquidity crunch. But what was really going on was enormous malinvestment because of cheap money. Now, what's cheap money? See, low interest rates. Because you have to understand something that people don't quite get, but this is very key. You see, interest rates are the price of money, right? because you are borrowing money at a, at a certain percentage. Well, that borrower has a cost and that's the interest rate. Now, see, how do you arrive at the correct price for any good? Whatsoever that good is, supply and demand, right? 
Now, who supplies money to lend? Banks do. But what has the Federal Reserve and the ECB, what have they been doing since forever? Manipulating interest rates. And what's that? Manipulating the price of money. Now, if you manipulate the price of money, you create market distortions. Everybody knows that. This is economic. Let me ask you this, because, I mean, they've, they've had this conversation for years now, right? Like, they've had this dialogue, this debate for years. They, you know, they've said that the economy is going to crash. It's a house of cards, blah, 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 yeah. insert the narrative. And you think that it's going to collapse, and at some point, like, it's supposed to. But why is it taking so damn so long. long because <laughs> this is like molasses in the wintertime falling out of the jar right no no, no. It, and you're absolutely right and i'll tell you what it is is that the people who are the people who are propping it up and preventing the crisis are exceptionally good at what they're doing they're, these are smart people okay uh, anybody who says that the people at the Federal Reserve, at the Eccles Building, or the people at the ECB, that they don't know what they're doing. Oh, they know what they're doing. They're customers. very good at making up shit, too. To, they uh, are smart, solve smart. Solve old customers. problems that they fucked up on. Yeah. But the thing is, see, uh, in my <clears throat> own case, I remember in 2010, I was convinced that, you know, the world's going to end. And I thought it was going to happen by 2012. And here we are in 2019. Of course, the world didn't end. Uh, because these these people are very smart customers. They are very smart customers, and they are very good at faking stuff. Like what happened, like uh, last month, right? With um, or the month before last, when they when the when the repo crisis happened, and they started printing money, but they didn't call it QE, but that's what it is. It's QE four at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And they started printing out eighty. What was it? Eighty billion dollars a month to go out there and purchase assets. It was QE, mm -hmm. you know, and and they pulled it off, and the markets were sort of like accepting. I had a very interesting conversation today, as a matter of fact, with a, with a money guy, uh, the quant guy. We, we have a quant guy in, in my real life job. And the quant guy was basically saying, look, if everybody knows that the, the central banks have their fingers on the scale and everybody is benefiting, then there is no reason to call attention to the fact. And there's every incentive to just keep on doing what they're doing. Which is totally accurate. And There's so, a lot of people complaining that they're not benefiting, though. And well, the no, the, the right capitalists are, and patriarchy the right are, are, are benefiting. running the show too badly for them, to the detriment of them in the world. Right? Like well, we've got Greta Thunberg. You have a picture on your Instagram as well of you reading her books. So I want you to maybe like dip into that a little bit. But we've got like this this uh, Asperger's autistic, whatever she is you know, 16 year old girl pointing yeah. and sputtering at the world saying, you've got to do better, but I've got no solutions. <laughs> Just how dare you? How dare uh, you? How dare you? <laughs> so I don't know that everybody's convinced that it's benefiting everybody, right? No, well, it's benefiting the right people. And the right people are the banks. The right people are the, the bigger hedge funds. Okay. I think that right now the central banks, the, the Federal Reserve, they're very concerned about the hedge funds because they're way overexposed. And they're way overexposed because of this bull market. And a lot of these hedge funds have kept on buying and buying. Everybody's just buying and buying. I mean, the PE ratios, the average, what are we at now? Like 35 to 1 or something absurd like that. Or mm. I actually haven't been following that particular number, but it's ridiculous. It, it doesn't make any kind of financial sense. And so, look. Eventually, the, the bubble is going to pop. The problem is that you're absolutely right. It's taking forever. I've come to the conclusion that we're going to have to need some sort of exogenous event, something from the outside, something completely unpredictable. Terrorist attack. 
No, no, something much bigger than that. Some Meteor? something that, that like everybody's like, what the fuck? Okay. What are we talking about here? Like an extinct, like an extinction level event? No, We're no, talking no, about no. a zombie apocalypse? Like where are you no, going? No, here? no, no. <laughs> but you know, you got you got to look at history. Like in '87, right? The 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 crash of '87. Um, what triggered it? Well, there was just some bullshit out in the Persian Gulf that Iran had some Coast Guard boats or something that shot up some American destroyer. It was something trivial, but that's the thing that triggered it. It was some exogenous event that was mm -hmm. in the scheme of things trivial but it just spooked the market you got to keep in mind that the market is basically like a herd do you think okay? that's why trump didn't bother going to war with the persians with the uh, with the iranians Iran? yeah uh that whole thing i'm really interested in what was going on there uh i i'm gonna refrain from giving any opinion but i th it just seemed really weird mm -hmm. you know and uh but anyway the I to 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 finish off this issue about the markets and when the whole thing is going to pop. You have to understand that the price manipulation of money has been going on for decades. It's benefited a lot of people, so they have an incentive, a built-in incentive, to keep on doing what they're doing and keep on making the money that they're making. I think it's been going on since they unpinned it from gold, hasn't it? Well, no. Um, or was it prior to that? You think? In, 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 Central banks have been manipulating the price, the interest rates since forever. The Bank of yeah. England famously during the 17th century kept it steady. But I mean, they've been going on a wild, wild tier since they unpinned it from gold. No, 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 no. You don't think so? No. Uh, it, it, the, it, what happened was that when they unpinned it from gold in 72, because of the, the uh, balance, uh, the, um, uh, what you call it, the, the, they had to in in seventy two, I think it was that they that they exited gold and Bretton Woods. But no, what happened was that see after Paul Volcker in seventy nine stabilized the dollar, okay, or nineteen eighty rather, uh, when he stabilized the dollar by increasing interest rates and just spooked the market and just whipped the dollar back in line because that's what had to happen. They had to raise interest rates astronomically. At one point, it was like twenty three percent. Yeah, I remember in the 80s, my dad was complaining that I think he said the mortgage rate on our house was about 18 or 19 yeah. percent, which is ridiculous. I mean, yeah. mortgage rates are like, I don't know, there's three or something like that now. I'm not sure where they are, but they're very low. Yeah, because what happened was that inflation had, had gotten away from the central banks. And the only way to really whip it in line was to raise interest rates, because that's the only solution to, to inflation. Raise interest rates to the point where it just, you zap it, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's what Paul Volcker did. He got a ton of crap for it back in the day. I mean, he had to go to Congress like a bunch of times and testify. And, you know, he had all these congressmen screaming at him because all these congressmen, of course, had these, um, the, these voters back home saying, how come I'm paying 18% like your folks, 18% mortgage uh, rate? What the fuck, right? And so anyway, Paul Volcker stood steady. You know, he was a tough tough, tough SOB. And he got us through the bout of inflation of 79, which really was proving to be catastrophic for the American economy. It was more important to kill inflation at that point than to worry about interest rates. And, you know, it was a strong medicine and did the job. And so after that, and also because of the neoliberal revolution, which deregulated the markets and allowed capital flows, um, uh, the, you know, the end of capital control, of effective capital control, which is a key issue, because that way money can move around and you can arbitrage 
your capital and move it to different places. And that's why the exodus from American industry to third world countries where they'd set up factories in Guatemala and Vietnam and China, China especially, and set up a factory and then re-import the goods to the United States, right? That created a deflationary incentive because all of a sudden the same goods were being manufactured in China and being imported to the United States, but at half the price or even less. And so this, this deflationary pressure combined with the end of inflation in the early 80s and through the 90s and into the 2000s, these are long processes, right? Uh, it created the incentive for the central banks to maintain low interest rates because there is no inflationary pressure because, because of globalism, because of the neoliberal uh, revolution that Maggie Thatcher and Ronald Reagan implemented, right? Um, by deregulating the markets, they lowered the prices of things because everything, the industry was exported from the developed countries to underdeveloped countries. And that's why the American economy went from a manufacturing economy to a service-oriented economy, because you can't outsource service jobs. You need somebody there, right? Uh, when, at a factory, you can send it to China. And so, what do you see, you know happening, what do you see mm -hmm. happening over the next five years? Because I feel like this story could literally go on for six hours straight okay. that you're diving down okay, you, you wanna, it's, okay. Yeah. Like, uh, and the next where do you think years, this is going to go in the next five years like what do you see the economy doing because i had a few people asking me to pose that question to you sure uh i think that the debt bubble that we have both in the federal government and especially the state and local governments that people aren't paying attention to uh and, and the problem of um of over commitments insofar as pension funds are concerned and over indebtedness across the board See, uh, it's going to pop eventually. You get what's called a Minsky moment. A Minsky moment is the moment when you have such debts that even if you continue borrowing, you cannot borrow enough to cover the interest payments of your previous debt. That's the Minsky moment, named for the economist Hyman Minsky. And um, we're going to hit a Minsky moment at some point, mm -hmm. especially like the state governments. We're already seeing it in Illinois and Chicago. And uh, we're also seeing in kind of California, where, where the, the state governments don't have enough cash to fund all their liabilities. Mm -hmm. And they can't borrow anymore because nobody's willing to lend them. Okay. So a lot of things can happen in that situation. Now, one possibility is that the Federal Reserve starts printing money just to cover the debt. And that would hyperinflate the dollar. Another possibility is that the Fed does not print money and a lot of localities start going broke and just wipe the slate clean. That would actually be the healthiest long term. But, you know, I know people and uh, people always go for the lazy way out. And so my concern, which has been the same concern I've had since 2010, is that the Federal Reserve will find it just easier to print money mm -hmm. to get out of the hole that they're in. And by printing money, what will happen, of course, is that at some point, all that money printing will lead to uh, a complete collapse in the value of the dollar, especially if there is a severe economic downturn. I personally think that that's what's going to happen, but I can't say when. Okay. So, okay, so, so speaking of currency, um, what are your thoughts on cryptocurrency? I think it's bullshit. Things like Bitcoin. Total bullshit. bullshit. Really? Oh yeah, and I can I can prove this very easily. Okay, first of all, I've known about cryptocurrencies since 2011, mm -hmm. and I thought it was bullshit then. Of course, I would have gotten into Bitcoin heavily 
and I had the opportunity to get into Bitcoin heavily in 2011, if I'd known that this irrational exuberance, this tulip mania insofar mm -hmm. as cryptos would continue up to 2020, of course I would have gotten into it. But the same thing as saying that, oh yeah, if I'd known the lottery numbers, the winning lottery numbers, I would have bought them back in the See, day. I've got a different perspective now. I came at it from the same angle when I first heard about it. It was about 2012 or so. Mm -hmm. And I was having lunch with a friend of mine. And he's like, I'm going all in on this Bitcoin thing, right? Mm -hmm. You guys have watched my channel for quite a while, know who Amir is. I've been on his uh, podcast as well, but um, like he went all in. I'm like, that's 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 stupid. That's not going to go anywhere. That's dumb. The banks are going to shut it down. The government's going to shut it down. Mm -hmm. Because I saw that from my perspective in the credit card debt relief business and how they really truly manage uh, financial instruments on the debt side of things, because that's mm -hmm. my expertise. Mm -hmm. And um, I was wrong. I was fucking dead wrong. Yeah. And I, I, since I then, I've put 5% of my personal wealth into Bitcoin. So I'm banking on it. Um, not that heavily, but I'm banking on it um, being there when that dollar issue becomes reality. Well, this is my thinking on Bitcoin. See, uh, number one, the key issue. Is it necessary for any purchase? That is, do you need Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency in order to purchase something or acquire something mm -hmm. that is absolutely necessary that you cannot acquire with any other currency or any other means yes the answer is of course no no it's yes i buy mm -hmm. stuff with bitcoin that i don't buy with no 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 no. no 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 see you can get those same things you but can, with a, yes with yeah. a credit card with dollars okay yeah. and people say that oh you know in the dark not as easily not as easily though yeah but you can get them you can, but not as easy. I mean, it's far easier for me to get certain things with Bitcoin that I can't with fiat currency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to get like, uh, I don't know, like pot delivered to you, sure, cryptos are great, but you can still, I'm what, the dealer is going to say, no, I don't take dollars. I only accept Bitcoin. Come on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, you can get it with, with dollars. Okay. See, uh, modern monetary theory is this newfangled theory that's popped up, which is just, they're, they're full of shit, but they do have a couple of really good insights. And one of the insights is that, see, a currency is valuable because the tax authority of that country only accepts that currency, which mm -hmm. is accurate. You go to the IRS, they're not going to take yen or, or pound sterling or euros. They only yeah, they want US dollars. dollars. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ditto with, you know, the, the Japanese tax authority, the British tax authority, they only take the local currency. And that obliges all the citizens to have that local currency. Okay. Which is a, a very good uh, uh, insight that MMT has. But precisely because of that, you can apply it to Bitcoin or any other crypto. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that is necessarily and sufficiently purchased with a crypto. But you can get it with other. But other what crypto. you're arguing wait, is wait. though that for huh? you to pay taxes, you need to pay in U.S. dollars. You know, which is true in, in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. IRS will take you to take a hike if you bring in euros, for instance. And euros right. is a yeah, perfectly yeah. legitimate Agreed. currency. Agreed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can only pay it. Okay. So the issue becomes: What can you get? with bitcoin only with bitcoin and no other currency that you can get or that you need to purchase but it's an essential thing that you can only get with a cryptocurrency it doesn't matter which one mm -hmm. the answer is none okay okay you no know more. that it serves more than just the purpose of currency though right uh, yeah but the, the point is it, it's value okay number one there is nothing that you can People always say that, you know, the dollar is a fiat currency. It's not backed by anything, but that's a bullshit argument. There are certain things that you cannot get with anything else other than dollars, for instance, oil. Well, 
Okay, so let's talk about South America because that's where you're from, and we've seen a state-printed currency. Okay, the, go. Yeah, there's a key issue. Okay. Number one, that it is it is not a necessary and sufficient currency for any purchase of any good or service. Number one, and number two, um, there's like Bitcoin, right? And there's Ethereum, and there's some other. There's like one thousand eight hundred more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so. What's the difference between them? The 1,800 more? Yeah. They're all bullshit. They're all shit coins. Well, no, it's a different. What separates Bitcoin, for instance, from mm. all these other bullshit coins? Um, it's the belief in it is really what it boils down to. It's just like Market. fiat currency. The only reason Market. why the US dollar has a value of 20 US dollars is because everybody agrees that it has that value of 20 no. US dollars. No, no, that's not accurate. Okay. Okay. The value of the U.S. dollars is that it's backed by oil. Because Saudi Arabia, in 1974, the Simons deal, Saudi Arabia agreed to sell its oil in dollars exclusively. I see what and you're saying, but let me take it from this pr perspective. Mm -hmm. You take a $20, a U.S. dollar greenback to yeah. a guy living in the Amazon basin with a tribe that's never had any electricity and hunts with fucking spears and fishing rods and stuff like that, and you give mm -hmm. him a $20 bill. He doesn't agree that it has any value. He might look sure. at it and wipe his ass with it. Sure. Right. So the only reason why a U.S. dollar has a, a twenty-dollar valuation on it, a twenty-dollar bill is worth twenty dollars, because everybody agrees it's worth twenty bucks. Because right? no. we all believe in it. No, that's incorrect. That's that's incorrect. Okay. Uh, the reason that the dollar you haven't read *Sapiens*, then have you? I beg your pardon. You haven't read *Sapiens*, then have you? *Sapiens*. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Uh, Noah Yuval Harari wrote a, a series oh, of books, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Sapiens, I, I read Homo Deus, uh, 20 Lessons for the great. 20th Century. Yeah, I, I thought the two, first two thirds of it were great, but then he got all PC and I just lost interest. Okay, but, okay, so that's where you lost. Okay. Anyway, uh, the, the thing is, see, uh, the, do you need oil? No. Yes, you do. How do you drive your car? Well, you, you need oil for a car, but do you need oil? No. You do for your life, for your continued existence. You need oil. Yes, if you want to have a car. Yes. Yes. yes if you want to have heating oil in in your home, right? Yes. Assuming you live in a yes. cold. If climate. you want motor oil in your engine, yes. If you want, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Plastics, uh, yes. So, in in the modern economy, and I think that this is an uncontroversial statement, oil is an essential ingredient to the modern lifestyle. Mm. This, this is not controversial. You need it for gasoline. You need it for heating oil. You need it for lubricants, for all kinds of machinery and whatnot, right? Oil is an essential component to the modern society. You cannot buy oil without dollars. This so, is not something I'm making up. This is okay. true. Okay. okay. Gotcha. Uh, there are some markets in oil where you can use euros, you can use yen, but these are secondary markets. You want to go to OPEC, OPEC deals exclusively in dollars. So you're saying the oil, that oil is a new gold? No, what I'm saying, well, yeah, basically. We have uh, the petrodollar matters mm -hmm. because every other country in the world needs to get dollars in order to buy oil, mm -hmm. every single one, okay? And it's because of that fact, because of the Simons deal in 1974 that not enough economic historians pay attention to, but that's the reason why everybody needs dollars and that's the reason why Dick Cheney was essentially right. Deficits don't matter. Because you have to think of Saudi Arabia and the OPEC countries as essentially 
the 51st states of the United States. So what happens when oil no longer becomes relevant? Yeah, that's going to be in the future. But right now and for the foreseeable future, for the next 10, 20 years, it mm. is essential. Mm. I mean, academically, thinking about it, that's very interesting. But right now and for the foreseeable future, i.e. the next 20 years, we're going to need oil. Mm. Of course, Tesla is building electric cars and all the rest of it, but we need oil for gasoline. We need well, oil for heating oil. Yeah, they can go on about their electric cars all they want, but the raw materials that they need to ship across the world are transported on boats that are burning diesel or trains that exactly. are burning diesel or whatever. Exactly. So um, what are you most excited about with your channel in the coming year now that you've switched over to Gonzalo Lear? Like I've seen the uh, tone and pitch change a little bit. You're talking about slightly different concepts. Um, like have you gotten bored about talking about women or... Like, where's it going? Well, for? yeah, because I mean, like, uh, I, I don't want to be repeating myself. Okay. And um, I often wonder why guys keep banging their heads against the wall when it comes to checks. It's like, they're not really that hard or that difficult to sort out. I mean, if you really make yourself your your priority and you've got something going on that's significant, you got game and you look good and you're not fat and all that sort of stuff, and you know how to protect your assets, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, how many more conversations do you have to have about it? Well, very true what you're saying, but my thinking is that a lot of guys, how am I going to put it? Look, it, it, if, if the sexual marketplace is a Pareto distribution, right, where you're going to have the 20% guys at the top who get 80% of the women, right? Mm -hmm. And the bottom 80% of men are going to Do you think it's 80-20 or do you think it's more like 10-90? No, 80-20. A Pareto distribution seems about right. Okay. But it doesn't really matter. It's academic. It's it's sort of it's skewed that way. Yeah, it's a geeky. 10, idea. 20 doesn't yeah, really matter. No, it doesn't. Uh, so you're always gonna have like a top group that's gonna have it relatively easy. You're gonna have yeah. a middle group that's gonna be struggling to a greater or lesser extent. And you're gonna have a bottom group, say bottom twenty percent or thirty percent, that's never gonna get the girls. And they're gonna be perennially frustrated and angry about it, which is which is the great problem of our contemporary society. Because Would you call them the quitters? Mm, well, it depends. I mean, some of them have quit. Some of them are just very resentful. Mm -hmm. Some of them, you know, like, uh, what's his name? Elliot Rogers decides that he's going to shoot them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but all these guys at the bottom 30%, I think that they should not be uh, dismissed because it's legitimate. It, it, they have a legitimate grievance. And rather than dismiss them or shit on them or call them incels and whatnot, I think that we as a society have to figure out a way to get these guys laid. Yeah. Because it's just not fair. It's, and it's, it's miserable what do you for, think guys, for, for guys. It's, it's miserable for them, and it's bad for the social order long term for a sizable minority of young men who are just not very sexually attractive or sexually or socially adroit but who are decent guys, hardworking people, good men. Yeah, they are. No, here, I, mean, I just I, want to show you this up on the screen. Uh, Nicholas is getting upset because the conversation's going off track. Uh, you're blabbing a lot about stuff that he's been talking about in his videos. Uh, the live chat is not on topic. Apparently, he's not getting what we promised on the subject. Guys, these live broadcasts are about what I want to talk about. So if you don't like it, you can go. Right. Yeah. I like having conversations about stuff that I think is interesting. It's not always about chasing tail. This this series is called playing to win. Right. And we're talking about interesting concepts here around that. So you can have some success in your life.
Um, so back to the question, what do you think the solution is for these lower tier guys that are not having any success with women? And you, and you said, yeah, we got to get them laid, right? It, that's the million dollar question. Um, we, you, we have to see what we had before. And what we had before was a regulated sexual marketplace whereby guys who were, first of all, girls were obliged by their parents, by their grandparents, by their girlfriends, not to sleep around, not to mm -hmm. be sluts. And what happened also was that um, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and whatnot would push young people together whom they thought would be good matches, which is a very wise approach. Because a lot of times young people, they're not smart enough to know who's good for them, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, I mean, come on, like, you know, you and I were both grown men and we can remember, uh, you know, when we were 19 and we were crazy about some girl and retrospectively were like horrified and realized that that girl was some skank or some horrible woman that it would have been a disaster if we'd wound up with them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we know that, okay? And a lot of times when you're young, you're just like a hormonal monkey and don't know any better, right? But older people do know better, okay? And a lot of times an older person will know these two people, they'd fit, they'd match, even though they might not have the obvious sexual attractiveness, the obvious qualities, but you don't they think would that there was the thirty percent chunk hmm? of the population that still wasn't getting laid back then, too. No, it wasn't. People were were getting were married, I, and I mean, like we know the that things have changed considerably since then. I mean, like what it took to get married and and have a family in the fifties is a lot different than today. Like back then, you. I mean, you could have a pickup truck and a factory job and you'd have like leave it to beaver at home, right? Exactly. Today, that's not enough anymore. No. So uh, well, what is your solution it, then? A, a time machine? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do not know. And it's, it's a really good question because there's also another problem. See, number one, uh, several problems. Number one, women who are in the workforce and they're earning good money. Well, women naturally want a guy who's a higher status. Hypergamy, yeah. And so what happens is that, see, if you have like a bunch of women who are roughly earning the same as men, then they're not going to look at their peers in, in, with any kind of sexual interest. They're mm -hmm. only going to be looking at the top. I don't and, know about you, but I find women like that rather unattractive. They don't, like they're not very feminine. You know, it's like, a, it's like a dude with a vagina, basically, right? Like, you know, they're out there putting a dent in the universe and they want a C-level job. They want to run businesses with entrepreneurs and like... Oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about them. If I find them attractive, no, no. I but mean, there's I a problem with that too, because there's another reason why a lot of them end up being single is a lot of guys don't want to be them, right? Like a C-level guy that's making half a million dollars a year. He doesn't want somebody that's going to bitch him out when he gets home and tell no. him that he's not good enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, like, no. He doesn't I want mean, to live in his wife's shadow. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, yeah. Also, the other thing is that women have these bizarre expectations nowadays. Yeah, they're Look, they're quite a bit more unrealistic than what they used to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's saying a lot, you know. I mean, like Jesus. But I mean, part of the problem is they're spoiled for choice, right? I mean, all the all they have to do is have a smartphone and an Instagram account or a dating app, and they'll get unlimited attention from unlimited men. Even fours and fives will get them today, right? Yeah, exactly right. And the other thing too is that feminism has has basically taught women that they can be as bitchy as they want to be, and somebody's going to be interested in them. Because of the unlimited attention. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so it's it's. Uh, I I feel sorry for a lot of guys in the West, in in the United States, in Western Europe, in in the UK. And I personally think 
that they should be looking to other countries, other countries where the sexual roles are are. Where more do you think men should be looking today? What? Where do you think men should be looking today if it comes Eastern to Europe. women? Eastern Europe? No question. But Eastern. I mean, they're, they're what, like 5, 10, 15 years behind North America? Uh, when it comes no, to the toxic in, version of feminism that's coming their way? No, because they're poor. And they're always going to be poor. And because of that, they can't afford the luxury of feminism and all that nonsense. Mm. Okay? Uh, you, you go to countries like Belarus, Ukraine, um, not the Baltic republics, uh, but um, uh, Slovenia, Slovakia, Russia, they're always going to be poor, okay? And so the women cannot afford to be feminists. You go to Ukraine, Belarus, wherever, all the girls are turned out. They, they take care of their appearance. They're not, none of them are dressed in a track suit, okay? No. <laughs> and, and none of them are these 900-pound land whales, Okay. <laughs> No, there's no harpy sitting in their car with a hair bun and a tracksuit yelling at people. No, none of that shit. None of that shit. No, I mean they're all hot. Okay, I mean it, it, that's the bizarre thing. Even the ones who are like not objectively that attractive, they fix themselves up. They okay. look good, and they're all slim. That's the thing. Look in Ukraine, where I live half the time. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm trying to think. I have seen maybe a handful of obese women, okay, uh, obese young women. Mm -hmm. And I didn't hear them, so they might have been foreign. Native girls, you know, Ukrainian girls, none of them are fat. None. None whatsoever. They might what not the... be their face that attractive because, you know, there's a variation. Some of them are very pretty and some of them not so pretty. But fat, none. What would the... Um people say where you lived in Eastern Europe about somebody like Tess Holliday being on the front page of Cosmopolitan being... They can't believe it. They cannot know, believe this it. This morbidly obese, diabetic, you know, one cheeseburger away from a heart attack, uh, you know, model. How is she a model? She's, she's a, a model of what not to be. She's a land whale. lens model, maybe. I don't know. And, and by the way, she's not only a, a land whale, but all those tattoos, it's just, it's, she's just horrifying. It's, it's what do you think of tattoos? I've got this broadcast that's uh, coming up soon. And mm -hmm. I had this guy who's a tattoo artist DM me and he goes, uh, I'm starting to think that women that get tattoos have serious psychological problems. Yes. So yeah. I got into some dialogue with him. Like, do you want to do a live broadcast? Because I want to talk to you about this in a little more detail. But what do you think about tattoos? That'll be coming up in the future. So make sure you guys well, I've done two videos on it. Uh, I've talked about it a few times and I've triggered a few women over it that are, of course, fat, feminist, you know, tatted yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Screw them. I, I don't care. You know, I'm, I don't want to bang them. So they, they don't exist in my universe. So yeah. Uh, I've done a video about tattoos on women and a video on tattoos on men. And I think it's different, isn't it? I think they're stupid. I, I think they're completely idiotic. Yeah. I saw the one on tattoos in general that you meant that yeah. you made, but as far as women go, like what's oh, your sorry. view on I'm women that sorry. are, that are tatted up? Like, what does that mean? It means that she's nuts. Simple as that. Okay. We, we can do like the, the whole breakdown of it. What it means specifically and why, but bottom line, she's nuts. Run. Or fuck her for a nice long weekend or whatever. But yeah. no, she's no. not long term. She's crazy. She's yeah. look, the reason that she this is for the guys. A reason a girl who gets tattoos has zero impulse control. Because see, long term, a tattoo is horrible. It looks bad on you. And also, it is a fashion. 
It's a fashion accessory. And is that fashion, something that you see in Eastern Europe much at all? Like you see that in tattoos and women? Yeah. And when common. you do, you know that she's nuts. And she is. She's mm. the girl's absolutely off her rocker if she's okay. got a tattoo. Okay. okay. No exception. No. I uh, used to think, I used to think that, oh, like a small, discreet tattoo, it's not that big of a deal. No, uh, yeah. uh, uh, no. I, I've learned the hard way. Yeah. She has a tattoo, even if it's a small one, even if it's like discreet, it, it, even if it's like hidden or whatever, she's fucked up. She's that's, fucked up. It's, that's a big red flag for you. <laughs> yeah. And a guy right. who needs a tattoo, I, a guy who needs a tattoo, he's, he's like either not thinking about the future or he feels that he needs to uh, uh, permanently mark himself in order to seem more interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm fairly interesting, interesting enough that I do not feel that I need to decorate myself like a fucking clown to uh, you know, project any kind of interest to the exterior world. Anybody who thinks that mm -hmm. I'm interesting because of tattoos is not somebody I want in my life. I've, I've, I've never had the inclination. I mean, I've always looked at it like I've got enough scars already because I got <laughs> like, you know, burns on my arms and my yeah. chest and my whatever. So it's, it's just like, you know, I just yeah. never really had a lot of interest in it. Plus, I've seen, you know, cousins of mine that are older that have to get their arms lasered and just it kind of bleeds out. And it looks like shit after a while. And if you're a woman, it just looks trampy. It just looks cheap. Yeah. Um, we got like 15 minutes left, so I want to kind of start to wind down the conversation. Um, what, it, well, you've got a son now, right? Yeah, I have two children. Okay. Well, let me ask you these questions. So, so you got a son. Um, what lessons are you going to be teaching your son as he grows up? Like if you were to pick, let's say four or five real important lessons that you would need to cover in the next 15 minutes, what would you be telling your son as he's growing up? Like what's important to him? Because, I mean, you're talking to all these men right now, too. I mean, 95% yeah. sure, of sure, our sure. audiences are probably um, don't, uh Don't drink, okay? Drinking is, is actually the worst addiction, I think. Uh, or, or be very careful how you drink. Never get a, drunk. A lot of people don't get that alcohol is a drug, though. Like, yeah. I've seen people say things like, I don't hang around people that, that, that do drugs, but they're guzzling gallons of, like, liquors, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, dude, that's a drug. I personally think I, I've done coke. I've done booze. I personally think that booze is worse than coke. Okay, so so yeah, I think that, I've done both. I I don't know that I would agree with that, but yeah. No, no. I mean, the effect of one is obviously far stronger than the other. They're both I, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but okay, handle your booze. Never get drunk. Never get drunk in public. Okay, never get drunk. Period. But you know, especially not in public. Okay, and when you realize that you're a little bit off, just get off the sauce instantly. Okay, that was first. Uh, number two, um, read everything, especially nonfiction. Read everything. And you should have a habit of reading, you know, like 50 pages a day or something. It's a great habit. And whatever, whatever book comes across, you come across, even if you're like sort of like mildly interested, pick it up, read it, okay? Uh, number, uh, number three, um, if question anybody in authority, that mm. means it's not like automatically doubt them, but ask why they think anything. If the guy knows what he's talking about, he'll be able to give you great answers to whatever doubts you might have. Okay. A guy who says, oh, just take my word for it. I'm a PhD from Harvard. He's bullshitting. He's bullshitting. Okay. Uh, because the truth is always obvious and simple. Okay. And so if somebody says X, whatever it is, and you ask them, if they know what they're talking about and it's true, they will give you the explanation instantly. 
If they are bullshitting you, they're going to appeal to authority, appeal to their own authority or some other authority. Yeah. Uh, so always question authority. Okay. Question why somebody's saying something. Okay. Um, get in shape. That's something I deeply regret. When I was younger, I did not uh, exercise as much as I should have, and I ate a lot of garbage, a lot of cheeseburgers, not enough broccoli. I wish I had uh, taken better care of myself when I was younger uh, and done more exercise and more physical activity. I tend to think that I would have also been a lot happier. I think that regular, strenuous physical exercise improves your mood. It's very obvious to me now. When I was young, you know, 19, 22, whatever, I was an idiot in that regard. And I deeply regret that. And I think that a lot of guys, a lot of young guys, if they were, you know, working out, uh, you know, daily sweating at least 30 minutes. I mean, like really sweating, doesn't matter the activity, running, weights, whatever, but they're sweating for 30 minutes every day. There would be a marked improvement in every area of their lives. What do you do for self-care? Me personally, um, oh. I watch my diet. And I'm actually in, a, in the process of losing some weight because I, I wasn't paying attention. I started ballooning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm pretty happy because in the last uh, month or so... How did so, you notice it? Was it you that noticed it or was it people in the videos that said something in the comments to you? Oh, no, I noticed it. Yeah, you yeah. noticed it right away? Yeah. And no, I've gone down, what now, about uh, eight kilos in the last month. Mm. Eight kilos is what, about 20 pounds? Yeah. That's uh, so. 2.2, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, and I do a lot of walking and I play squash. I mean, I, because wherever I am, I always have my office uh, between a, at least a kilometer away and not more than two and a half kilometers away. And I walk that, you know, never take, uh, never drive a car to work. And, um, and I play squash once or at least once or at least once a week, I play squash. And uh, squash is a great sport. You know, I mean, it really keeps, you know, it's hard on the knees. That's the only problem with it. And my knees are starting to go. Um, but, um, but it's a great cardio workout. And it really, it's, it's a, a very intense sport, you know. By the way, have you looked at using BPC-157 on your knees? Uh, what's that? I have no idea what that is. I'll link it for you in the chat afterwards, but it's a peptide. It, it's, it works really well. I, I pretty much fixed my knee um, really? a couple months ago, yeah. Yeah, oh, a really okay. bad left knee. Like I wouldn't even be able to pay, play squatch before. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'll I'll, I'll uh, fill you in afterwards. But um, okay, so that's the self care. What about the conversation around uh, money and finances? Like, what would you tell your boy? I would tell him never go into debt. Never go into student debt. Student debt takes, on average, in the United States, it takes uh, people twenty one years to pay it off. The average student debt load today is thirty seven thousand dollars. Do you think uh, university or college is worthwhile in North America for men? No, no. Waste of time. Uh, waste of time and money. They're what not they teaching you anything. They're not teaching you anything. Um, you can have a very fulfilling life without a university accreditation. Uh, a fulfilling and successful life. I think that. Um, I think it's bullshit that is being sold to young people who don't know any better. I think it's a catastrophe on a social level. Mm -hmm. Because all these young people graduating with all these debt, all this debt, they're unable to pursue the lives that they want to lead. 
They can't buy their first home until they're in their 30s. They can't start a family when they're young because they have this debt load. I think it's despicable what the educational establishments have done. And uh, the only people who benefit are administrators and bankers. I you personally have invested in, in student yeah. bonds. It's a fantastic deal for investors, but shit for students. No, it's a great deal. And one of the angles that financial institutions have had on student loans was to offer them other instruments like uh, lines of credit, credit cards, uh, you yeah. know, the first car loan, RSP loans. Yeah. Um, because once they got them on the books on the banks, they know this, you know, this 25 year old's probably going to live to about whatever the average life expectancy is 76, 82. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but they got them on the books for the while, right? Yeah. Which means they've got them on the never ending merry go round of debt, throwing interest payments off pretty much for the rest of their life. So I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, that philosophy when it comes to education. Um, what about um, money in general? So stay out of debt. What yeah. about like, as far as investing, what about having your money have sex with the money so that it reproduces itself? Well, my thinking is that you should aim to um, save a quarter of your gross income. Gross, not net. Uh, because here's the thing that you discover fairly quickly once you get into the workforce. See that uh, your uh, lifestyle expands to however much income you have mm -hmm. and so if you don't if control you, it yeah it, it, yeah and so if you deliberately decide that your your gross paycheck you're going to put away a quarter of it okay just just put it away uh you will quickly accrue a great deal of money you will quickly put together a very nice nest egg and you will not feel that you are depriving yourself of anything okay uh, that's the thing that, especially young guys, they don't quite realize because they figure, well, I need to, you don't need anything. You need very little, you know, always be thinking that you want to get stuff. That's like, for instance, you want to get a car that's used because a new car, you drive it off a lot and lost a third of its value. What's the point of that? Okay. Uh, you, you always want to be thinking like, um, how can I put it? Any expense that you have, you want to make sure that it's worthwhile long-term. Let me give you an example, a specific example. I purchased uh, a motorcycle last year. What kind of bike? I got myself a Ducati Scrambler. I was looking at those the other day. Great. Yeah, I was Great looking at the cafe racers in that series. I'm not crazy about cafe racers because I like to sit upright. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, uh, but that's a I was always bike. a sport bike guy. Yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not crazy about sport bikes because they scare me. You know. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm too old and bent out of shape to ride sport bikes now. Yeah, but no, no, no I uh, I had the opportunity to get myself a Ducati 999 sport bike. Okay. It was modified. It was incredible, incredibly fast. I took a spin around it, scared the shit out of me. Life's <laughs> too short, you know. No, it's so fun to be riding those, on a man. bike that scares you. No, I come used... on, huh? man. It, if it if it can't scare me. The minute that a car or a bike doesn't scare me, that's when I sell it. That's when I'm like, okay, we're well, done here. This isn't fast enough. <laughs> no, my attitude is the, the complete opposite. I want to have a good time and I want to relax. Yeah. I don't, I don't want stress. No, I love the adrenaline rush. Like that's my thing still. Oh, okay. No, for me, that, that, uh, that, that's, that for me, that's just over. I, I'm just not interested in that. When I was yeah. like, when I was like in my twenties, sure. But now I'm just, I don't want to take it easy. I just want to relax. There's a, there's a picture of you here on that, on an electric motorcycle. In oh yeah. 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 I, I, uh, they were test driving it. It's actually right around my house. Okay. And they were like, uh, 
letting anybody like uh, test ride it. It was a yeah. lot of fun, but it was like 14,000 euros. And I yeah, that. and you can buy it like motorcycle for peanuts. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, the scrambler I got, right, uh, it was a deal. It was uh, one year old. It had less than a thousand miles on it. It's a 888 V twin, right? It's um, V twin, uh, 862 cc's. Oh, okay. Yeah, and okay. Um, nice bike. It's it's a great all rounder. Yeah. Okay. It's, that's the the beauty of the of that of that bike. It's it, it just does everything very very well. You Can know, you off. ride it year round in Amsterdam? Like, do you get much snow in the wintertime? Sure. Well, actually, there hasn't been any snow this winter in Amsterdam. Okay. Uh, and uh, and no, I don't have it here. I have it in Ukraine. And okay. the thing is, I bought it for eighty five hundred dollars. Uh, and it had, like I said, it was a year old with less than a thousand miles on it. The new one, you know, was thirteen thousand, four thousand five hundred dollars difference, forty fifty percent, almost fifty, actually more than fifty percent more than what I actually paid for it. If and when I get around to selling it, I put uh, another couple of thousand miles on it. As a matter of fact, I really uh, hauled around on it. If I were to sell it, I could get at least eight thousand dollars from it, mm. at least. So basically, I've had a motorcycle for about a year. Yeah, bikes are great transportation tools. I recommend like... Oh, no, no. I I don't have it for transportation. I just do it for fooling around, right? Oh, I used to use it for transportation. I mean, for me, like I'd use it to get groceries and everything when I was younger. (laughs) But I think every young man needs to own a motorcycle. I think it's like a rite of passage, like owning a horse would have been for a boy to a man like 300 years ago. Yeah, they're, they're great. But the point, see, it's as an investment, would it be nicer to have gotten the new one? Yes. Would it have been nice and nice enough to spend forty five hundred dollars more? No. And and here's the key issue: the guy who bought it before, who bought it new and put a thousand less than a thousand miles on it, mm-hmm. he had to eat those forty five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. When I sell the bike, I'm gonna lose five hundred bucks. Big deal. Mm-hmm. It cost me five hundred dollars to have a year round on it, and that's assuming that that's the low end of the of the of the of the sale because yeah, the, cheap I already on gas, the Ducati dealer cheap on insurance, cheap on yeah. maintenance. They're great. Everybody's yeah, and, and, and the thing is, see the, um, but this goes for everything: a car, a house, whatever. Okay, because a lot of times you get suckered in to buying things that you do not need or you don't recognize that the depreciation of something is so high that it's not worth getting. And that's the thing, depreciation. Pay attention to the depreciation of anything, any asset that you buy. A lot of times kids don't don't pay attention because it's new, it's shiny. Can I get a Ferrari today? Yes. Would I get one? No, because the second I drive it off the lot, I'm going to lose $120,000. That would be crazy. Okay? You get that with a McLaren, not with a Ferrari. Well, but I'm not some, so wealthy that I can afford to throw away, you know, $120,000. Yeah. I don't I think mean, there are some cars that you can make some money on, but they're pretty few and far between. And they usually offer those vehicles to lifelong customers of the brand. Yeah. Like there are Ferraris that you can buy that you can drive off the lot and they're worth like $250,000 more than what you paid for. But sure. you had to buy six other Ferraris from the brand before they'd even offer to offer it to you. Yeah. But yeah. Um, we're at the 90 minute mark, man. That was, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. I don't want to, um, go over cause I like to keep these tight and I want to respect your time and everything. We went everywhere and some shit, you know, we agreed on and stuff that we disagreed on, but that was, uh, I enjoyed that conversation, man. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And th- one quick note. Yeah. The fact that people disagree with one another, 
is actually good because when you disagree with somebody, you can check to see if you're right or wrong. And, and you can only often, you can never tell that you're wrong until you hear an opposing point of view. And so this, this notion that like, oh, it, it was a bad conversation because we disagreed, that's crazy. You know, you, you, from my point of view, it's always, we had a great conversation because we disagreed. Correct. You know, that, that's my thinking about it at any rate. Correct. Yeah, uh, the pleasure. Thank you so much for we having go. me on. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, before we go, give me like 30 seconds so I can pay the bills around here and just talk about uh, the channel sponsor with Tactical Soap, and I'll give you all the details on BPC afterwards, if that's cool. Sure. Um, so let me just quickly throw it up here. So guys, a uh, couple of channel sponsors that I need to mention, of course, Tactical Soap, Grandike Soap. Uh, let me put the banner down here so you guys can see it. It's a lot easier when I do it this way. Boom. Uh, Coopersoap.com. Pheromone Infuse, handmade, supports the creation of content on the channel. Scott's been awesome sponsoring the channel for thus long. So you're showering anyways, just use the good stuff. And then there's, of course, uh, alphafit.fit. So if you're over 35, you want to get your swagger back. There's a bunch of supplements here in the line you can grab. Just check out the website. I'm going to do my finger like this right there, and you'll get more information. So we'll... Uh... Ha, there we go. Ah. Ha! I'll get this. I'll get this one day. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for watching. We'll see you guys in the next broadcast. Um, next one will be... So the next one will be the one on the uh, tattoo artist. Um, he's going to share some of his insights and experiences because... Um, I'll watch that. <laughs> that'll be a fun one. I want to hear what he has to say. So I want to thank you guys for watching. Uh, stay tuned for the next one. Uh, make sure you leave a comment afterwards down below. And um, if you're watching this as a recording and you want to get on the live stuff and you know join the membership to have a conversation, make sure you hit notifications so you get notified when it does go live. All right, Gonzalo, thanks for hopping on. We'll see you guys very soon.